classes at this time. Thank you, Mike. And also, uh, as uh, teachers remember, we are going to have that meeting uh, right afterwards. So if uh, you're able to come back, we'll let the kids either bring the kids in with you or let them play in the gym, but it won't be too terribly long. Uh, We'll just get this meeting in and out and done with. All right. Well, with that, we have, I believe, I set it up so that we have a video that is going to be uh, playing uh, for you real quick before we start our message related to what we're going to be learning about today. Might have had a little bit of a Christmas ring early, but the point remains, doesn't it? Good news is meant to be shared, isn't it? And if we are willing to share good news, how much more the good news? A young girl was walking home from church one Sunday. And she says to her mother, Mom, didn't you tell me that God is so big that the world can't contain him? That the earth is like his footstool and you can't see the end of him? And her mom says, Oh, that's right. I did say that. And he says, Well, today we learned that God lives inside of me. And she said, Well, that's right too, honey. So the little girl said, I'm confused. Because if God is so big, he can't even fit in the whole world. And he also lives inside of me. Shouldn't people see him coming out of me? Shouldn't people see him coming out of us? We are in our second to last step of the faith path today. Focused on taking the good news that we have. Everything that we have been learning to walk in and to enjoy, to trust in and to grow in. Everything that Jesus has given to each one of us. This, is about, this step is about taking all of that and sharing it with a world that doesn't know it yet, that doesn't have that good news. You see, Christ formed a body when he brought you and me into it. He didn't just say, here is a ticket to heaven. He said, I take you and I am placing you into the body of Christ along with every other believer, everyone else who has trusted in him. Now, a body is made to be unified and to grow into Christ, who is the head. We see that throughout the story of the Bible when we're talked about that. The the body is supposed to be seen as a unity growing together. And yet, a strong body of Christ that is unified and working together, it's not just something to be experienced. It's not just something to be admired, like a trophy where people say, look at these people who trust in Jesus. Don't they all love Jesus and love each other? Isn't it great to just look at them and see what a great stand-up group this is? Now, you see, a good, healthy body is made to do something. 
It's made to be involved in some sort of work. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10, you, we know Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But the very next verse that says in verse 10, for we, for you and I, are his workmanship, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works that we may walk in them. That he works he prepared beforehand for us to do. The body of Christ is made to do something. So the question is, what is the body of Christ made to do? Well, the last words of a person are significant, and it's no less the case here. I want to take a look at the last words of Jesus, seen not in any of the Gospels, but in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 9. His last words before he came to heaven, before he ascended. Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Luke, the author, writes, In my former book, Theophilus, by the way, what is his former book? Could anyone hazard a guess by the name of the author? What? Luke. That's right. It's actually Acts and Luke are meant to be two parts of a, a series. Acts is the sequel to the book of Luke's, in case you're wondering. So if you're wondering, you finish the book of Luke's and you say, well... I wonder what to read next after Luke. Actually, it's better to skip John and read Acts and then go back and read John because it's amazing too. Anyways, back into the text. That, was, that one was a freebie. I guess everything is kind of a freebie here on Sunday, isn't it? Acts chapter 1, verse 1. says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And here's the kicker. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. So the question is, what is the body of Christ made to do? For what purpose did Jesus, when you trusted in him, not just say, here's a free ticket to heaven, enjoy, but instead he placed you with you, and with you, and with you, and with me, place the body of Christ together. For what purpose? Toward what end? The body of Christ is made to be witnesses of Jesus that take His grace to the world. 
Let me say that again. The body of Christ is made, designed to take the grace of Jesus to the world as his witnesses. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at today. That the church must take Christ's grace to the world as his witnesses. How do we do this? Jesus said it in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, you will be my witnesses in three groups of places. It looks like four, but it's really three. At least for the purposes of my message. Jerusalem the city where they would be in at the moment the Holy Spirit came, all Judea and Samaria, the country that they were in and the neighboring country, and to the ends of the earth, to the farthest parts of the world. What part is left out of that? I can't think of any. This is what we're going to be talking about the next week, next three weeks. What it means to be witnesses of Christ's grace to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and to the farthest parts of the world. And today we're going to be focusing on Jerusalem. And I want to focus on on these two phrases. You will be my witnesses. And the second phrase being to Jerusalem. All right? Witnessing. I don't know about you, but for some people, the idea seems uncomfortable, doesn't it? How many of us are excited to take what we know about Jesus, what we trust about him, and go to people who don't know about him and say, let me tell you about the one who changed my life. In theory, we know that it's a good thing to do, but how easy is it really? Sometimes I think it's a matter of perspective, though. I really think it is. It's the perspective that we have when we think about telling others about Jesus. Because if you think about it as something that you have to do, something that you're made to do, and you're thinking about it as, I need to tell something to someone who doesn't believe this and doesn't really want to know, so why should I tell them? It's easy to, uh, to make excuses, isn't it? But I want to ask you, what would you do if, say, you had a sibling that needed a home to live in and they could afford rent up to, let's say, up to $500 a month? And then you spoke to a friend who said, I need a little bit of extra income and I'm looking to take someone who can rent from me for at least $400 a month. What would you do? If you had someone that had a need and you knew of a way that that need could be met, what would you do? Or how about this? Let's say... You have a friend that is working for a company and they are a good hard worker, but the company that they work for shuts down and they are out of a job and they need one desperately. And then you hear from a different source of a job that would be perfect for them. What would you do 
if you knew someone you loved who had a need, you knew of a way that that need could be met, what would you do? I think we make a mistake. When we think about Christianity as something to lump in along the same level in our lives, along with work, family, and hobbies. If I were to ask you, tell me about yourself. And Christianity was just to be part of the list. And you were to say, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a father. I'm, I used to be a bus driver, so I'll say I'm a farmer or father. No, I'm a bus driver. And my kids, I have kids. My kids are involved in school. I'm a husband. I'm a Christian. And I like board games. I think we make a mistake when we lump Christianity at the same level as all these other things. You see, your relationship with Jesus is going to outlast everything else in this world. Do you believe that? Your life that you have in Jesus doesn't just give you hope for the next three years or the next 30 years. It doesn't give you hope for the next 3,000 years. It gives you hope of a life that will never end, a life that you only have because the one who made the heavens and the earth came down to pay for all of the rottenness that you and I have brought into this world, all in one act of sacrifice. And then he turns around and says, I've already paid the price. And all you need to have a life that will never end is to trust me to give it to you. And if we have trusted in that, then everyone we know who has not yet trusted in that has a need and we have the solution. It's not at all that we here in this group are special. That's not what makes church special, all right? I'm, I'm sorry. You guys are really great. I love you all. But, like, I also know that I have this bias that I, I like you so much more than most of the other people I know in Rock because I just know you better. And if someone else was coming to this church, I would say they were special too. See, there's, this is a really special group, but the specialness of the church does not come from the actual people that are here. The specialness comes from our relationship with Jesus and our connection to Him, our mutual connection to the Maker, Redeemer, and Judge of the world, the one who made the world, who owns the world, and who will one day erase all evil, all pain, all brokenness, all death, all sin from your hearts and mine and from the world. And today, today, he's offering a limited time offer to every human on this planet. Absolutely free gift of eternal life. A guarantee to live with him forever. 
So I've already asked this several times, but I just want you to think to yourself, what would you do if you knew heaven was real? If you knew hell was real? That Jesus' offer of eternal life was real and was really free? And you have friends and family near, living near you that don't know. Would you tell them? Because we, we, including me, were made for more than telling Jesus how much we love him. We were made, we were born again to be his witnesses to people who don't know him yet. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you will be my witnesses. Not his lawyers, by the way. If you're going into a courtroom analogy, we are not made to be the lawyers that convince people, that force him. That's not on us. We are to be his witnesses that are just willing to tell other people about the hope, the reason for the hope that we have. And so we move from the idea of Jesus saying, let's be his witnesses, to the first where. Because Jesus said three groups. Remember, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. First, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. This is the city where the disciples would be staying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Now, I don't try to always, as a pastor, come to people and say, uh, stand up here in the pulpit and say, where's your Jerusalem? But today I'm going to be asking, where's your Jerusalem? Because it fits. I really, truly think it does. You see, telling other people about Jesus always starts with wherever you are with whoever's in front of you. You don't need to go searching far and wide. It starts with wherever you are and whoever's in front of you. And you look at Jesus. Jesus is walking along teaching. And an important man, a ruler of a synagogue, kind of like a pastor or a priest or minister of a church, an important person in the community, runs to Jesus and says, my daughter is sick on the verge of death. Please come and heal her. And Jesus says, there's a need in front of me. And he says, I will meet this need. And he goes towards that man's house. And as he's going, though, he actually gets interrupted when there is a woman who has had a bleeding disorder for 20 years. She has seen doctor after doctor after doctor, and they haven't done anything to help her. If anything, they've only made it worse. And she just, she doesn't even have the, the guts to go to Jesus and loudly say, heal me. She, he's with someone else that feels more important than her. And she just says, if only I were to touch the edge of his cloak, I'll be healed. And in the press of the crowd, she works her way through and just touches his cloak and instantly feels that she has been healed. You know what Jesus does? He could have said, the crowds are important. He could have said, this man that wants me to go is important. And they are. But in that moment, he knows that there is this woman who has this need. She has been healed in her body. And Jesus says, I want to stop 
And I want to minister to your heart as well. And he encourages her before he moves on. There are other examples of this. One more is Jesus once when he was traveling from the southern country of Judea towards the northern country of Galilee, where his home base was, as it were. There's this other country called Samaria, which is filled not with fully Jewish people, but people, Jewish people who had interbred with Gentiles and were looked down on by the, uh, the, the full-blooded Israelites. And so there was animosity within this. And most people would travel extra several days around Samaria to avoid just going into that country. But Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. And as he does, they reach a town in the middle of the heat of the day, right by the equator, really hot day, And he is tired, and he is hungry, and he is thirsty. And he stays by a well, but he has no water to, nothing to get water from. And his disciples go in to the town to get food. And while he is waiting, out comes this woman, getting water in the heat of the day. Which, really, who would do that? All of the women would have come in the cool of the day, in the early morning, before it's really hot to lug back all of the water you need from that day from that well. She is ostracized by society. And yet Jesus had to go to that woman. And as he goes, he begins a conversation with her, turning it to trusting in him as the Messiah, the source of of everlasting life. He shares the news with her. He had to go through town. He had to go and speak to this woman. Now, as a result of her trusting in him, she goes back and the whole town comes out and trusts in him as well. But something tells me it's not specifically in John. So I'm not going to hang my hat on it, but I am nevertheless what I know of God's character tells me, even if the rest of the town had not come out and believed, he still would have gone for that woman to tell her about him. We get caught up in our some days, don't we? We think about our relationship with God and our growing, and we think to ourselves, I don't know, maybe God will use me someday. Maybe there's a day coming one day where I will have trusted in Jesus enough, where I will have grown enough, where I will have matured enough, then maybe then God will use me. When maybe then an opportunity will come. But our some days can hold us back from today, can't they? Our saying, someday God will use me, can keep us for just one more day and just another day and then a week and month and years from letting God use us because we keep saying someday. Friends, brothers, sisters, there are people that are in your life right now. Opportunities that are worth grabbing onto. I don't want you to be overcome by the amount of need because every one of us knows more people than we could possibly reach out to within even a week's time, effectively, or a month. I don't want you, I'm not asking you in any way, to try to reach them all at once. Don't, don't try. 
what I am asking is that each and every one of us would pick two to three people to pray for and to be specifically intentional with. Because you see, God made, Jesus made the greatest trip to pay the greatest price, to offer the greatest gift to the greatest number of people. And now he gives you and me the greatest opportunity to take part in his work by being his witnesses. And where does it start? It starts with those right in front of us. With our Jerusalem, so to speak. He's going to tell us to move beyond Jerusalem, and we're going to see that. But I think we can learn a lot from the saying, wherever you are, be there. Wherever you are, be there. Adam, I'm going to make use of you and ask you to take these and hand this out, one for every person. Thank you. I'm going to close with a challenge. And I hope that each of us are willing to do this. I want you to write a list, not just one for every couple. I invite every individual person to do this. On this list, I want you to write just about all the names you can think of. I want you to write every individual that is in this church. All right? Every individual that is in this church. Write down all the names you can think of, and then when you run out of names you can think of, then if you think of a face but you can't think of a name, describe the face in a way that will help you. All right? It's okay. It's your list. You're not going to share it with anyone else. Just write down all the names of the people in the church who you know. Then I want you to write down the names of the friends that you have talked to within the past three months or so. All right? Not every single friend that shows up on Facebook, some of whom you haven't talked to in years. No, every friend that you have talked to within the past three months or so. I want you to write down every family member that you have spoken to in at least the uh, last year. Kids, parents, cousins, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews. If you're a parent with younger kids, write down the friends of your children and their parents. Write down neighbors for uh, a, two, a half mile radius around your house. If you don't know a name, then take a walk sometime and write down addresses. Write down your co-workers and write down people that you see at community or school meetings. Your list is going to grow. It's going to be big. You're probably going to fill that sheet and need to grab another sheet. I actually encourage you to do this, though. Take some time and do it. That list is going to be very intimidating. But what I want you to do is once you have written out those names, pray over that list. Don't pray through every single name. That's going to take you several hours. Write the names and pray over the list. And ask God, Jesus, who are two or three people 
but I can make my Jerusalem. Two or three people who don't know Jesus yet that I can start to be intentional with. Maybe then we can choose to pray for those people every day for a week. And then when that week is done, continuing to pray for them, take a step. Ask them if you can chat with them at least once a week. Meeting with them over coffee. Marco Polo is a great way to send them a video of you talking to them and they can respond back. Just starting to talk with them catch up with them, get to know them a little bit better, and maybe intentionally weave your relationship with Jesus into the conversations. I know this is uncomfortable for us, but believe it or not, it is woven into your spiritual DNA. It is a part of who you are. Jesus gave us everything. He called us to follow him and to be his witnesses. So let's go ahead and try do that. Let's start that right here and right now. Let's close in prayer and then Al is going to come up and share with us for communion. Jesus, I thank you You did travel the greatest distance to pay the greatest price to offer the greatest gift to each of us. Jesus, we who have trusted in you are are different, but we don't always feel different. And for many of us, the idea of being witnesses to you can be one of the hardest things that you could ask us to do. That frightens us more than anything else. So Jesus, I ask that you would give us boldness. Give us boldness to speak and let your spirit give us words to speak. Because Jesus, you are real. And your gift you offer is real. Help us. Help us to take that step with just two or three people to witness to them of you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.